0: Well, welcome back. Glad to be here. <clears throat> Feel free to give us a
1: call two one six nine oh one zero nine four five If you'd like to ask a question, oh, I want to talk about the current financial i'm sorry investment environment or other financial questions. that's okay too. You can also, if you'd like to reach out to me on my website, go to BullingtonCapital.com. dot com. There is a contact us form there. Um, Which is, it's kind of interesting because an awful lot of people have been contacting over the last few months, but they'll reach the contacts and in the message box, they don't put a message. (laughs) So I guess I'm supposed to reach back out and I have been, uh, but uh, so if you have have a specific question, feel free to, uh, you know, write it down and uh, put it on my website and send it to me and I will gladly try to get back to you. I've had a couple of questions. I know people are anxiously awaiting, you know, there's a, a, a big change going on. I, Nationwide has launched a new product. I'm waiting for finalization approval to be able to talk about it in more detail. And uh, I know everybody's anxious. The, uh, and I've uh, been talking about it. It's coming, but you know, it, sometimes you just have to wait. <laughs> it's just unfortunately, but don't, don't you hate that about life? You know, you just have to wait you, you, know, you find out about something and say oh but it's not ready yet and uh, so I wish they would wait until it's actually ready to roll out and uh, actually, this one is ready to roll out it's It's my association with the company that I'm trying to establish, so anyway, should be a, a pretty good deal. I think the uh, when I'm looking around at, at fixed income rates and the uh, if you are looking to add some security to the amount of income that you can receive in retirement. There have been a lot of changes that are going on in that marketplace. And I really like to explain it's not just nationwide. There is a uh, there are a bunch of insurance companies around the country who are getting together and are forming what amounts to a personal pension plan. They're taking the in, uh, the information that they've been using to administer these gigantic pension plans all across the country. And they're bringing it out to individual investors. And a lot of them are, they're pretty good. This is a, uh, they've been working on this for years. But let me explain the whole pension business and why that was so hard to do. In the uh, in the past, you've got State Teachers Retirement Ohio, um, PERS, STRS, that is the State Teachers, in uh, OPERS, All across the country, every state has pension plans. They used to, you know, Ford, GM, they all used to have very similar pension plans. It's gotten, in the private sector, it's gotten a lot less popular. Many of those plans have shut down and converted over to plans where the employees are responsible for making a large percentage of the contribution, which, by the way, you may not have known it, but you were making a large contribution to the other pension plan. They factored that into your pay. You just didn't know it. And the companies did a, a, mm, i a I'm don't want to say poor, they didn't do a, a great job of telling you and letting you know how much money they were putting away for you. And I can tell you the, the average employee's reaction to that was, well, I'd rather have that money and that's not a, and because of that, it's not a big deal. Really? <laughs> Somebody's going to put up to 10 to 14% of your pay away for you and save it for you and invest it for you professionally and going to take responsibility for that. And that's not a big deal. Yeah. Well, it is a big deal. And now people are re- starting to realize now that they're the ones that are responsible to have this money taken out of their check to put into these retirement plans. That, yeah. It's a big deal. That's a really big deal and it's a an even bigger deal when you get close to retirement and you want to start thinking about how much income can i have how much can i achieve how do you do that when the stock market drops 50% every now and then uh, think about that stock market has a tendency to go down by 50% or so every now and then is it frequent not that frequent it happened t- in from Two thousand March of two thousand and March two thousand and three that was a big drop lasted over three years it was over fifty percent. The average fund was down about that much some of your your more um, value oriented funds did not go down nearly as much during that time period and that in fact, a lot of them went up. that was what was different about that correction over the two thousand uh seven through two thousand nine correction that occurred. Yeah um was a lot different. You know, it's and what you know what's really funny though? I have got these interns that are coming in now. And during that first time period, they were just being born. <laughs> Sheesh, I can't believe how old I am. <laughs> I never thought I'd be talking like this. Actually I never thought I'd live this long. <laughs> And neither do they, by the way. You talk to you get 21, 22, oh, by the time I'm your age, I'll, I'll probably be gone. The uh, And hopefully that's not true. And hopefully that you start paying attention to a lot of this stuff that we didn't have access to. It, when I was their age, when I was in my early 20s, we didn't have charts of the S&P 500. We didn't have stock information at our fingertips. The, the Internet was a thing of the future. Nobody even knew what it was you wanted to look something up, you had to go to a library. And uh, fortunately, we did have um, amortization tables that you could look up in a book. <laughs> and, well, I, you know what really cracks me up? is, Unless you were in finance, you didn't know what an amortization table was. If you were in finance, uh, then you knew what a pain it was to have to use that thing to look up things. But we got used to it. We were so used to it. That was just how it was that you really didn't think about that too much. Today, you can go to my website, figure out how much money you need to accumulate for retirement. If you don't know, like mine, Vanguard, Fidelity, they, all these firms have uh, retirement planning software on them today. does the compound interest thing, which is very, very interesting. But Anyway, long story short, uh, in fact, I, actually, I always do this. I get off on a topic, and I've read so much about so many different things, I just down this rabbit hole. <laughs> Sorry to drag you with me, but yeah, um, the bottom line is: I, I, after working with the interns, I'm seeing that the education that they're getting in college is not that good. It's not that useful for the real world, and uh, it's and everybody that's ever been in college knows that you you don't use a whole lot of what you've learned there. Like I would probably say, two thirds of what you've learned is not going to be applicable to the career that you're going to be ending up in. And not sure why that's that way after all these years. Actually, I'm kind of sure, but it, it's kind of negative, so I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but there are so many things, and, and they could be simplified so much so. And I'm talking to these kids, and I'm, and I'm trying to emphasize, look, it's not that complicated. You've got to be... Uh, you have to be cognizant of how much money you're spending. You need to live beneath your means, not within your means. I want to slap everybody that says, live within your means. No, <laughs> that's wrong. That'll get you broke at 65 or 70 or whatever time you want to retire. And so you want to retire at 40. Yeah, that's a that's a good goal for a lot of people. Hopefully some of you make it there. That would be great but you won't get there living within your means. You're going to have to live beneath your means. You're going to have to put a chunk of whatever you're earning aside and invest it. Now, most business owners don't do that. The vast majority of business owners invest in an enormous amount of money in their businesses. If they're successful, then they tend to make a much higher return on that invested money than they would have made in the stock market. That's absolutely true. The best way to get rich in America, other than winning the lottery, being a professional athlete or a movie star is to open a business and to be successful with it. And we're hearing a lot of stuff, Oh, all these poor businesses. Well, you know what? I hate to be the the bearer of bad news, but only one in four businesses ever makes it to 10 to the 10 year mark. One in four. So the pandemic that's out there now has accelerated that process of kind of wiping out a lot of businesses, and that's very sad. I feel horrible. I've uh, seen my income get cut. I'm used to it. I planned on that when I started my business. I knew it could happen. And uh, do I? Does that mean I'm I'm not affected by it, or that I you know not don't get upset by it? No. Absolutely not, but I was prepared for it, and that's my that's what we need to be doing with these kids. We got to prepare them. (laughs) We need to help them. Don't give them uh, garbage. A lot of the stuff that they're studying is not very helpful. Why are you charging them all the the money for what was the average college credit hour today? I don't even know. It depends on the school, but it's probably several hundred dollars per credit hour. You only need 130 of them to graduate. By the way, <laughs> the uh, so I think they, you know, we're, we're not helping them out. We we need to help them out better, and we need to speak in a language that's a lot simpler. But you know, that's my cross to bear. <laughs> I'm going to try to help, and uh, so here's here's what you need to do. All investment planning, all financial planning, is really geared towards becoming secure financially. How much money does that take? Well, it depends on your lifestyle. How much do you want to be able to spend each year? Take whatever you want to spend each year and multiply that by 20. You take whatever you want to spend, multiply it by 20, actually probably 25 to be on the safe side. That would be in a 4% withdrawal rate. That's what the uh, college for financial planning recommends. I got a moment to pick with those guys too, by the way, (laughs) the, uh, so 25 times whatever you wanted to spend. So if you wanted to spend $10,000 a year, well, it's 25 times 10,000. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a lot. Well, what did I just say? I can't, I get this so, uh, this is hilarious. So 20 times, uh, yeah, you'd be about 1.25 million if you wanted to spend 50,000 a year. That's what you'd need to save if you wanted to take it just from your investments. Okay. Or, and this is why most people go into business. You build a business that generates income. The business can generate $50,000 a year. And the reason I'm using that is that's the median income. It's right, right around 52000 per year in the United States. Uh, let, let me, uh, before you, are panicking and saying, oh, throwing your hands up in the air and saying, oh, I can't ever do that. I didn't take Social Security into account or a pension. If you have Social Security and pension, it's probably going to cut that number in half. Okay, So now it's a lot more manageable. And people don't understand the value of Social Security. It's amazing. It, that is one of the most successful programs ever been ex- invented. You, you contribute to it because you have to. That was a a great rule because I can tell you that a lot of people have 401k plans where they're allowed to put in somewhere between 19 and, and almost twenty five thousand dollars a year, and they put only what the company's going to match. That's not a good idea. You should put as much as you possibly can. If you're doing uh, as much as you possibly can, think about it. You're going to have to accumulate a tremendous amount of money one day, and uh, we'll come back to that a little bit later. But I think the average Social Security payment um, per month is somewhere around $1,400. I'll have to double check that. But if it is, that means that that's around just under $17,000 per year. And if we multiply that by 20, meaning you're going to try to take out 5%, that saves you from having to save yourself $340,000. Think about that. That social security payment of 1400 bucks saves you from having to save up $340,000 on your own. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. So that's again, it's one of the best programs that's that's ever been invented. You know, a lot of people don't think a lot about that. Let's say you were at the I think the maximum level this year was 3700 somewhere in that neighborhood, so that's 44,000 you might have gotten from social security. If you had to save up enough money to pay that same amount out, you're talking about nearly $900,000 that you'd have to save to make that up. Wow. Sounds a lot better now, doesn't it? (laughs) That measly Social Security payment. By the way, this is going to make an awful lot of spouses look a lot more attractive nearing retirement. Now think about this we had uh, Ben Erman Erman Financial guy talking about uh, doing budgeting had a him on last week and he does a lot of counseling for marriage counseling and uh, one of the biggest reasons people cite for their divorces are financial difficulties they don't get along when it comes to finan- finances they're not on the same page and i think this is a big part of it this this is not being talked about by the way this math is not calculus, it's not statistics, it's percentages. You learn this in the sixth grade. Sixth grade, and that—that's the level of math that you need to, to really understand extremely well. To do well financially, it's not really advanced, but you know what? It's still—it's not being emphasized, and we need to—we need to do something about that. We need to start talking to our school systems and uh, and getting them to start giving real financial, good financial information that kids can use to be able to increase the, the chances of reaching financial success because the statistics are, are pretty low. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I get the idea when I'm talking to people that they'd actually like to do something other than, you know, walk around a neighborhood when they retire. And uh, my uh, laptop just died on me. What the heck? Um, that's nice. Oh, there we go. Starting to come back. I got this new laptop from, uh, Dell. It's pretty awesome. I think four years ago, talk about a tough business. Four years ago, this laptop would have cost five or $6,000. I got it for a thousand bucks. How'd you like to be in that
0: business?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Business is tough. When we come back, we'll talk about how to accumulate enough assets to be able to retire. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay
0: tuned. Sometimes your calling comes in dream. Sometimes it comes in the spirit's breath.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. If you have a question for me, feel free to give us a call, 216-901-0945, or you can go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com. Send me a question there. I'll be glad to answer it. And, uh, you know, I talk about... I Actually, I've been talking about the same things for an extremely long time, but markets should change over time. They They absolutely change. In fact, the speed... Has been kind of accelerating since I've gotten into the business. The, the total volatilities, incidentally, have been very similar. In fact, if you look at the early 1900s, the volatilities were nearly as high as they are today. And I know people think that, you know, well, how could that be? They didn't have computers back then. Nope. They had a whole bunch of individual investors who were very scared. <laughs> And they had a bunch of guys that used to come in and form a syndicate. That's actually what they called it, forming a syndicate and they would manipulate stocks. And it was the wild west out there. (laughs) So it wasn't, uh, it was the volatilities were actually a little bit higher than they are today. So, and if you didn't have access or didn't spend the money to get access to charts like that, you would not know what I'm talking about. You would think that this is all brand new. And I'm actually happy to tell you that no, it's actually kind of been this way for a very long time. It actually smoothed out a little bit during the uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, 90s. And even then, it was was really volatile and it is really volatile. So the, the things that you can do to try to prevent yourself from falling victim to panic when one of the volatility attacks comes is to diversify that's pretty smart it's a lot easier to do that today than it was back then which is one of the reasons that um you don't see a company like RCA going from $10 a share to $300 a share in a few years yeah you do see stocks like Beyond Meat <laughs> that are doing similar stuff but 10 to 300 is more than 75 to 300 okay percentage wise there's a huge difference there you almost, it's extremely rare to see the volatility levels that RCA experienced back in the early 1900s. And, uh, what you know, what's really funny about that? <laughs> I was watching this show one time on cable, and this was years ago. I wish I could remember, um, which show or you know, what station it appeared on and who made the documentary. But there was a stockbroker and he was talking about one of his clients and, and this was in the early 80s. And this client he had had in 1967, he remembered this. He probably wrote it down. I'm sure he did. Because the lady came in and she had RCA stock and she had the actual certificates and she wanted to sell them. And he looked at the certificates, which were dated from the early 1900s. This is 1967. The date was on the certificates. They were dated from the early 1900s and this lady's very very old. And he says, "Huh? Why do you want to sell them now after all these decades?" And she goes, "They're finally getting back to break even." <laughs> she, she had kept that that stock all that time. So people think that this is new. It's only new to you. <laughs> And I'm still amazed at how expensive it is to get stock charts that go back, you know, into the early 1900s. It still costs a lot of money. I'm not sure that's a conspiracy theory. The uh, somebody's keeping that information and uh, keeping it really expensive. But you should uh, somebody should publish that. Actually, should put a subscription website up to to see that sort of thing and be uh, that's an eye opener. And I think doing this type of educational work is very important because the number one reason people panic is because something happens that they did not expect. If they expected it, they wouldn't be panicking. So something happens that they didn't expect and they panic. And that's one of the reasons that uh, individual investors have a tendency to struggle. Somebody tells them something that they want to hear, rather than how it really is, and they don't have really the means to go back and test. Now, today you can go back and look if you, if you want to get a Morningstar subscription. It, it's actually it's very expensive. I'm not talking about the thousand dollar a year thing. I'm the, the thing that you need is the one that I have. It's about ten grand, okay. ten thousand a year for access to data. Yeah, that's why nobody's doing it. <laughs> I can do it because it's my job. You know, that's a business expense. And, uh, it's, they're, they've actually cut off how far back they go now, too. I used to be able to run that back all the way to the early 1920s anyway, like 20, 1926, I think. But that's been cut off now. Uh, I think it cuts off in the 70s, somewhere in the 70s, but that's okay because I had it long before that and I have other, uh, resources. So the, uh, if you don't study history, you know, I, I don't know where, there's a whole bunch of sayings about that. Those who don't study history are bound to repeat mistakes of the past, something along those lines. And that's absolutely true. So I think, uh, you know, we need to try to give more education. Uh, percentages is key. You know, what's percentage change? That's key. What kind of tracker, how do you accurately measure your performance? That is a bear because I work with a ton of financial firms. I don't see anybody that is doing what um, most people can relate to. And I I understand why, too. It is very complicated. If you move an account from one place to another place, if you take money out of one account and put it in another account, it, it really messes up the performance record or it may not be meaningful for you. It might make looking, make something look way better than it actually performed, or it might make something look way worse and you don't know. So that, that is incredibly difficult. If you want to track the performance on an account, don't move any money in or out of it, you know, which, and I know that's incredibly difficult to do. Uh The easiest thing to do is to look at the balances on an annual basis and see how much money was taken in or taken out of the account. That's the easiest way. Get a calculator out and start to do that. It'll probably be more meaningful for you if you do it that way. So anyway, I know what people really want on the show. They want me to give you the next big winning stocks to pick. <laughs> and they want me to guarantee that they're going to go up. And I'm going to guarantee... That you'll be surprised. So will I. I'm always surprised. I look at my best performing stocks that were picked based on a methodology. Based on having a system in place. And it always surprises me which ones do the best. I mean most of the time. say 80% of the time I'm surprised. 20% of the time. Like oh okay. I thought that might happen. But. For the vast majority of time. It's pretty surprising. And And you know. So many people are bewildered by the stock market. You know why they're bewildered? Because it, they just don't really understand how it works. And they think that they'll, uh, that it's very specific, that they can put this set of rules out. Okay, it always does this. No, it doesn't, actually. And that does make it confusing because that's what you want. There's this thing called cognitive dissonance happening in your brain when you start looking at how it actually works and it conflicts with the way you, that you would like it to work. Every psychiatrist and psychologist in the uh, listening area that might be tuning into this is going, yep, that's right. (laughs) And uh, so the idea is that you want to be aware of how it actually works, not how you'd like it to work. And you know what? That is incredibly difficult to do. Incidentally, to take your wishes out of your thinking and trying to observe something just as it is, that's really tough. And some people never, you know, never get there. And, uh, uh, they end up, you know, stressed out constantly because things don't work the way they would like them to work. And they're not aware of the way that they actually work because they keep thinking one day it's going to work like I will. I would like it to I believe I've seen people go to their graves like that. You know, it's, Sad, actually. But the, uh, but the good news is you don't have to do that. And the better news is you don't have to be perfect to win. That's the, that is, that should make everybody extremely relaxed. You don't have to be perfect to reach your goals. You can reach your goals. You may not be able to reach your goals the way that you thought you could, but does that matter if you reach your goals? Yeah, that's my point. Reaching your goals is the most important thing, right? And uh, I'll tell you what, there used to be a couple trading systems that were publicly, uh, they were sold to the public, and they worked. They were were very valid. Uh, They don't work today like they did before. They're still profitable. They don't work quite as well. Uh, A lot of things have changed, but they're still profitable. And one of them used to actually make money on about 80% of its transactions. The other one only made money on about 35% of its transactions, and the one that was 80% accurate was a lot more popular. That one, by the way, it's no longer. It's not even close to 80% anymore. It's more like 50. But the uh, it still makes money. But the uh, everybody picked the 80% number. They they wanted to be 80% accurate, even though it made half as much money. Think about that. It made half as much money, but people have felt it more important to be right than to be rich. Are you kidding? (laughs) That really upset me. (laughs) I took these informal polls at my seminars and I was like, well, are you kidding? Really? Everybody was voting by hand and I'm counting. I'm like, no way. You mean you'd rather be right than rich. Wow. And uh, they didn't understand what I meant by that. What I meant was if you took the other one, you would make a lot more money. Even though you lost money on more transactions, it was more profitable in the end. Okay. And that's, I don't know, that's what I meant about counterintuitive in, in this business. By the way, there are funds that are doing those things that I was talking about before. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I got a uh, quick call here. If you'd like to call us in, 216 And Jeff, you're on the Bullington Capital Report. Hello. Hey.
2: How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Hey, I was, I was calling in. Um, you were mentioning the whole idea of uh, uh, trying to keep track of uh, your uh, return and your mm-hmm. account and, and like not trying not to move money around it to keep more accurate right. accounting. And, um, and I'm sure you probably know how to do this. But it was something I learned some years back, there was, a, there was some sort of a game that was online. I, I think it was called like Mer- meritocracy or something. But on that site, it actually uh, had a methodology that to, to taught you how to keep track of your return. And I ended up doing that with my my wife and my accounts, because um, we have multiple accounts. But basically what you do is you, uh, for any account, you treat it sort of like a mutual fund. So what I do is I say, okay, I have a, have an account. Let's just say you have an account that's got $100,000 in it. You say, okay, uh, this account has 10,000 shares, you know, quotation marks. And so as long as you don't do anything, you don't move any money in or out, you stay at 10,000 shares. But if you move additional money in at some point, you've got to basically treat it as if you just bought additional shares at that, that net asset value. And same thing with you sell. If you ever, if you ever pull money out of the account, you treat it as if you sold so many shares. It's basically the same kind of accounting that a mutual fund. Would yes, do. right. So, so I actually do that because we have multiple accounts. We we, all, we each have a Roth. We each have uh, you know traditional IRAs, and I also have a, a, like a, a an inherited IRA that I got from my dad. And so you know it gets kind of unwieldy to do all that stuff, but i I really was interested in keeping track of you know how we were doing over sure. time so, right. so, yeah. so and then and then i I kind of had like a greater thing that hit you know like a uh, one one big spreadsheet that everything kind of dumps into, and you do the same thing that way too. So if we pull money out, if we're spending money, which we are over time, I just do that at the end of the month and say, okay, you know, based on the money that we've spent. How much? How much do you have? You know, how, how many shares did you did you redeem so from, you, for having done that? Right. It's a way of keeping track. You know, so sure. it's a pretty good way of estimating how you're doing over time.
1: Yeah, actually, and that's kind of what I was talking about. If you looked at your annual statements, you go through and you do those calculations once at the end of the year, and uh, it, it's a little bit easier, I think, for the average person. Because I will tell you this: right. you are in the top one percent. Of all investors,
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure when, not too many people do it. When,
1: when right. you are walking around and you're at the mall, you look at everybody. You are one in a hundred. <laughs> that, that's just been my experience in the um, in the business, and very few people, hardly anybody, understands what net asset value is. I mean, next right. to nobody. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, I, my I, hat
1: is <laughs> off to you.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I've basically been doing this too since, like, you know, I'm, 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 uh, a year older than you. Okay. And I've basically been doing this also since, like, my early 20s. So, right. And, um, that is so cool. So, yeah, just from a lot of a re- lot of reading and, and, uh, and just an interest in it.
0: So, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. But,
2: uh, yeah. So I just thought, just thought I'd throw that out there. If anybody's interested in trying to do that, that's, that's essentially how you do it. It's, 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 and it's, you know, it's a little, it's some work if you're interested in doing it. It's a little right. bit of work. but Yeah, um, so
1: we started working with uh, E-Trade, and E-Trade does all those reports now for you. Um, Fidelity has some, I got to tell you, though, there's so many different methodologies that they like to use. Uh, it's really tough, and inflows and outflows can have a huge impact on that. And just as an example, let let's say you sold intraday on a uh, Thursday. By Friday there's a two and a half percent difference in your account values.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. and so and, and and really like what I'm talking about here, it, it, it's it's an estimate. It's yeah, not it's right. not gonna be uh this is not the precision that you're gonna get from a fidelity or a van.
1: Oh no, no, you're you're probably more accurate. Well, if you want to hang on, we can come back after these commercial messages. The uh but I gotta take a real quick break. So if you'd like to hang on, I got you on hold there. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on fourteen twenty be back after these messages.
0: Look to- I've been
1: through that fire. There's and we're back. You're listening to Bill Bullington. We're here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. If you'd like to talk to me, you can schedule a free get acquainted meeting. A lot of more doing over the phone or you're welcome to come in the office. If you'd like to, we do practice social distancing. We have masks available and hand sanitizer um let's go to my website to reach out to us there and i'm going to go back to uh jeff jeff you still there i am yeah um well i just wanted to say thanks for calling That's. it's good to know that somebody's out there doing that kind of stuff that's a uh, uh that makes me feel better that <laughs> 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 someone's doing it but uh, uh right. did you have anything else for us today
2: Uh, You know, one of the things I was gonna I was gonna ask you um, because I've I've listened to you periodically, but uh, I don't know if I've ever heard you specifically. I think I I think I've heard you mention some stuff about like momentum type stocks and that sort of thing. I was wondering if if you've um, ever looked into any kind of uh, uh, trend following type strategies, and and specifically, um, are you familiar with? uh, Gary antonacci's dual momentum
1: um you- yeah, i've i I couldn't quote it verbatim, but yes the uh and momentum i I spent about three years earlier in my career learning to program in c plus plus and I bought this big really expensive database that had data going back to the early nineteen hundreds and I tested uh every variable in the book, the encyclopedia of technical market indicators. Are you familiar with that?
2: Uh, yeah, I think I've, lo- I've looked at... I think I actually took that book out from the library one time. It, I mean, it's got everything in it.
1: Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so I, I rewrote all the indicators there, and I, I did massive testing. I spent a, a lot of time on it, and after all that time, what I realized that was that stocks can only go up, down, or sideways. <laughs> right. I'm just being facetious. Right. But there are the methodologies that had a tendency to make the most money were psychologically the most difficult because they didn't have a very big uh winning percentage that's kind of what I was alluding to at the beginning of the program the the ones that were most profitable typically only made money on about 1 out of 3 and they made the most money uh and you can there are bunches of different ways of of using momentum in a strategy and they work, they work well. They don't work like people want them to. And it's kind of counterintuitive. How do you make money if you're going to lose two out of three times? Well, because your losses are very small and occasionally you get a really big winner. That's, that's typically how that works. And when you see, when you've tested something and the reason I did this, cause there were a lot of courses, there were a lot of people. So I, I can't tell you how many seminars I went to that were like or five thousand bucks and they were just they didn't work so I, I took it by myself and back in those days TradeStation, it, it, you know it was actually a uh testing and research platform it wasn't a brokerage firm and uh, so i bought their software and spent an awful lot of time going to gurus to teach me how to code to be able to test this stuff and uh that's what i found out that the 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 methodologies that made the most money were also psychologically the most difficult in fact there's a uh, a trend following fund one of my clients sent me uh, uh, an email asking me about it just a few weeks ago and the fund was up this year or last year i'm sorry it was up 4000% in, in a year okay yeah. it was only up 269% from where it began 5 years ago which means That fund had to be down about 90% or so before it made the 4,000% run.
2: (laughs) Right, the devil's in the details of of how they're actually running it, too. Right, Um, yeah. Well, the thing I like about uh, this Antonacci method, though, if you're not familiar with that, I mean, it's a very simple, it's actually, it's uh, it's, it's something that the average person can do um, just because instead of getting into individual stocks, he he basically uh limits it to uh you know major indexes so so it's it's the US so so he uses the S&P 500 for the US that's proxy for the US so i guess you could use total stock market if you wanted to and then uh then it's like everything else so you have um, you know the the entire world ex US that's the, that's the rest of the world and so and then uh, the way his model works is if, if, this, if stocks are, are doing basically better than cash, you would be in the stock market. And then, then it's just a question of is the U.S. market – and, and it, it, he's, he's using a one-year look back. He's measuring it by one year. Right. He's saying if, if the one-year return for, for the S&P 500 is greater than what you could get in cash – you would be in stocks. And then it's a question of which one, the one-year period, is the U.S. market better or is the, or is the rest of the world better?
1: Yeah, I, you know what? I, it, I've done stuff that's very similar. Here's, here's my observation with that. The, uh, it does work. It probably doesn't work like people want it to. It may not work. And if you send me a link, I'll look it up, and uh, I can report on it. The, uh, uh, the vast majority of the time, certain things are going to change. Over time. Okay, I, I,
2: I've used it a little bit, um, and as I've looked at it, though, too, I did find out, like, even with, with what just happened back in February when the, when the market tanked, right. um, that method, because the way he the way he runs it, too, he's like, you know, you're only supposed to, to uh, basically check it once a month, which has got attraction for a lot of people because a lot of people don't really want to sure. follow right. things closely. But when you have really bad market meltdowns, I think it's really important to have a stop loss in there. Oh, if you put you the know, stop just...
1: loss in <laughs> and start testing that, your performance is going to drop.
2: Uh, I don't know. I do know. I'm not sure. About for a
1: fact. I'll bet you on it. Yeah,
2: well. I will bet I mean, All it. I know is, like, is what happened in February. Yeah,
1: you're you looking it's at a lot a lot one better. incident. that yeah. Statistically, that is not a large sample size. <laughs> yeah. And if you go I, back yeah, over know, long right. time periods, I'm telling you uh, – Stops can actually make it more profitable in the long run, but in the short run, you're going to get whipsawed significantly more times. Market will go down, but, you'll get yeah. hit, and it's going to go up without you, and you're going to miss a huge... And the way the market moves today, I would be really hesitant to do that. I mean, I'd be really hesitant. But, you know, everybody to each his own.
2: There, there's no there's no free lunch, no matter what you do. Right, us, exactly. Right? So.
1: Yeah, you're you're going to pay... Psychologically, for what you're doing, and uh, right. if it's a good methodology, you know, uh, I think great. But if, if you're going to use a stop, and then then the, it'll increase the number of times that you have, uh, more often than not, it increases the the number of times you're going to have a losing transaction. Uh, it'll right. keep you out of the market, especially in a one month. I'd be really, uh, by the time you got a thousand trades under your belt, it's going to be ten years from now the uh so and, and a thousand transactions typically what I would look at as a base to see if if I thought I was really on something so yeah
2: and what I'm and when I'm talking about a stop though too I'm'm tr- I'm, because I am using like trend following methods just in general but but with this method that this guy came up with I still think some sort of like a long term I'm not talking a real close stop but you know something on the order of like about eight percent or something, which which is which is going to get you out. Like if there's a, a fairly major move, yeah. that kind of thing. What, you want to have I, I don't want something yeah. that's it, like you know, two two percent behind where you're going to be back and forth. Yeah, all but
1: the but see the back problem back is you get one transaction a month, and unless you learn how to back test that accurately, you, you'll you'll be ninety by the time you've accumulated enough data to to see whether or not it, <laughs> what you're going to do is going to work. You know what I'm saying? Right. That is. That's a you tough way. Which, By the know, way, TradeStation right. still lets you backtest, so you could actually write that code and test that if right. you wanted to.
2: But you know what? The the one thing about I was going to mention about TradeStation though, because I actually tried them for a little bit. Right. Um, did you know that they don't um, adjust their data for dividends?
1: Um. They do not. Yeah. The uh, a, a lot of them don't. They they used to. And, so.
2: I think, I think it's because they, they, I think their original thing was with um, currencies, which you didn't have to worry about that. Right. But with, with stocks, you know, you really, you really need to, to adjust that data. Yeah, I haven't Otherwise, used them
1: for so long. And actually, back in those days, the data you purchased separately from TradeStation, they really weren't the vendor for that. That was a long, long, long time ago. So the uh, yeah,
2: but I just I just tried this out like I don't know a year and a half, two years ago or whatever, and then when I found out that they that the, the data actually was not adjusted for the dividends, I was like, well, this blows yeah, off is, everything.
1: Yeah, that is you not know? good.
2: <laughs> you can't use those formulas, if, you know, right. if, the, if the numbers aren't really accurate, you know. So well,
1: if if you're looking at, at data on, data on stocks on an individual stock, the uh, it, it would actually be adjusted for the dividend because the share price goes down and they would just put that as a print of it opened at this price instead of the price the night before. So, if you're just looking at the price movement, that, I don't think that would be too big of a deal. And if you're looking at momentum, you're looking at stuff that is a uh, um probably not even paying a dividend. If you cuz if you're going to go to momentum
2: yeah. If you have things that are like minimal dividends or no dividend, it's not it's not really an issue. But right. uh, and like you said, pro- probably a lot of the high flyers they're right. not going to be dividend paying right. stocks generally. Yeah. But so, but you just have to be careful of what you're yes. looking at because yes. if, you're, if you're looking at a REIT or something that has a oh like yeah. 8% yeah, yield. Um, there were
1: certain really stocks bad. like I would never trade a REIT. I wouldn't trade a Dow stock. Uh, I actually, the momentum works best with mid and small cap stocks. And uh, I try to stay away from the really large stocks. I'm I'm sorry, I'm running out of time here. I appreciate your call, but uh, feel free to, to call in next week and we can finish the conversation. And I uh, sorry for the sorry for the guy on hold. This is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Go to BullingtonCapital.com if you want to reach me online. Have a good week, everybody. Good luck and good investing.
0: The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.